So from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be a guest of the sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, thank you, Helen, for reading for us. Good morning, everyone. Hope that you're doing well. For those who don't uh, know me, my name is Luke. Uh, as Aaron said, I uh, used to go to the 1030 service, and then it was a service at 33 Finchley Street, where I live, and now it's the 1045 service, and then next week I'll be at the 1030 service. So, good morning. Now, if you're new with us this morning, uh, let me extend just an extra welcome to you. Uh, it's great for you to be uh, for us to um, have you here. Uh, right now, we are in the middle. Of, actually, we're kind of taking a break from a sermon series in the Book of Romans, and it's kind of typically our pa- our habit to preach through whole books of the Bible, as uh, God has given us whole books. And so, right now, we are kind of going back to the Gospel of Luke, and we're and we're going to be preaching through these for a few weeks. Now, the Gospel of Luke uh, obviously was not written by me, so I'll do my best to not refer to Luke uh, and refer to myself in the third person. But uh, the Gospel of Luke is one of these, uh, one of the four biographies that we have about Jesus's life. It tells about his birth, his life and ministry, death and resurrection. Uh, the part of the Gospel of Luke that we're in right now, chapter 19, is this big block of text that stretches from the end of chapter 9 all the way uh, at, to the end of chapter 19. And this block of text is when Jesus finally decides he's been doing ministry, and it is at that moment, according to John 9, 51, that he's going to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so he's going to go from the north, he's going to go to Jerusalem, and it's there that he's going to die a bloody death. But then he's going to rise again. Okay, so we're, we're in this block of text that as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, he is teaching, he's having encounters with people, performing miracles, and most fundamentally, granting salvation to those who are in need. And that was exactly what Adam touched on for us last week. Um, frequently in this block of text, we see that salvation is being offered precisely to the people that we would not expect it to be offered. Last week, as Adam told us, it was um, a blind beggar who is not only does he get his physical sight restored, but his spiritual sight is restored as well. And that's what we see this week as well, is that there's an interesting paradox uh, by the recipients of God's grace, by those who we typically don't think should deserve it. And this week it is Zacchaeus. And I think this, um, this is a great passage 
for us to preach on today and for us to hear. Because there's so many of us, maybe you're here just like Zacchaeus, just a casual observer wanting to know about Jesus. You've heard of this salvation that is in Christ. But then the question is, is it too late for me? Have I sinned too much? Almost like one of these kind of action thrillers where a group of people go into a situation and they get shot up and as they're making their way out, one of the, you know, one of the people is like, no, it's too late for me, but you go ahead sort of thing. That's not what we see here, but that's how a lot of us feel. Is it too late for me? Could God really forgive me for X sin? If only he knew how bad I was. Can God's grace actually overcome the things I've done? Well, our passage actually is a fundamentally fundamental yes. Our passage demonstrates that Jesus' mission was to seek those who are lost. And his salvation goes out to the unlikeliest of people. Now, if you're following along in the outline, the way that uh, our passage does that, it does so first by telling us that grace is for the greatest of outcasts. And then secondly, that grace is a divine encounter. Thirdly, this grace is transformative. And then lastly, how do we respond to such grace? Well, we respond joyfully in Christ's mission. Okay. So our passage then opens up in the first four verses that grace is for the greatest of outcasts. Okay, so we read in verse one that Jesus was passing through Jericho. Okay, so Jericho uh, is a town uh, about 16 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. Now, as you can tell from my accent, I don't work in kilometers. I work in miles. And so I was actually like in the back doing the study and I was like, you know, praying and all this stuff. And I'm reading this and I see 10 miles and I thought, oh no, that's not right. I've got it like I had to look up on my phone to convert it to be all things to all people. So um, 16 <laughs> kilometers. Okay. So now Luke has been telling us, as I said, from chapter 9, verse 51, that he's making his way to Jerusalem. Okay. And it, verse 1 just appears that you know, Jesus is just passing through Jericho. It's just one of these towns he's got to go through. Um, it's one of the towns that he must go to in order to go to the cross. Now, as he's passing through Jericho, we read and we're told about one of Jericho's local residents who was the supreme of outcasts, okay? Verse 2 introduces us to him, okay? We're told his name is Zacchaeus, or if you're familiar with a, uh, an Australian book called Zach, the, the tax man. Now, apparently, I, I don't know about this, but a colleague of mine at the college said people might know this, so... Apparently, Zach was a part of a basketball team. He was too short to play, but he was able to take stats, and that's how he became really good at numbers. So that's, if you want to know the backstory <laughs> to how Zacchaeus both was, uh, became good at, good at numbers. All right, well, so Zacchaeus, we're told, is uh, his name. That we're told he also was a chief tax collector and that he was rich. Actually, these three items tell us a lot about Zacchaeus. First is that Zacchaeus his name is that he's Jewish, okay? He's a part of the people of Israel. But secondly, is that he's the chief tax collector. Israel did not have tax collectors. Rome had tax collectors. Now, tax collectors are not the same like we have today, okay? Tax collectors in those days basically worked on extortion. They always charged more than Rome required, 
And so they lined their own pockets. And so it was a kind of a state, you know, state-run oppression. And the most remarkable thing is that you have a Jewish man being a chief tax collector. So not only is he doing it himself, he's actually running it, okay? He's running the game. And that um, he was rich from it, okay? Um, so not only is he a traitor, he works and runs it, and he's really good at it. Zacchaeus was good at being bad, okay? Now, I heard on the radio uh, just prior to the uh, AFL grand final, I called it the grand finale, the first service, and I was duly corrected. Um, <laughs> Got so many American-like things I have to overcome in this one sermon. Now, uh, Port Adelaide, to my, uh, I, I hear that's a team. Uh, it was uh, almost about to play, and this lady called in, and she was so excited about Port Adelaide. Now, it came out in the conversation that she actually grew up a Crows fan, and her whole family were Crows fans, and like all her neighbors. And then one day, she just woke up, and she decided, you know what? I'm tired of being a Crows fan. Apparently, I don't know this, but apparently Port Adelaide has had a more recent winning success. And so she decided, I'm a Port Adelaide fan now. Just like that. She flipped the switch. She, and much to the, you know, the uh, the spies of her family, uh, she became a Port Adelaide fan. And not only that, she took great delight in the losing streak of, of the Crows now. She is as far outside of her immediate family kind of community as one can get. And of course, people, you know, the radio host just took her to task, as well as lots of people calling afterward. She, she is a traitor. She just decided one day that she's no longer going to be with the team that she grew up with, that she supported, and that her family also supported. And so Zacchaeus here... He's a traitor. He, uh, he is so far outside of the community as one could hope. His racket worked well. He's rich. And so the, the implication is, is that he's as far out, outside as one could get. Okay? He has become one of the enemies of Israel. He has benefited from the oppression of his own people. Okay? And so Zacchaeus then, he's, he's an outsider for the community, both socially, but he's also a, an outsider morally from his own kind of profession. But also, most fundamentally, he's, he's an outsider spiritually. He is in great need. Now, verse 3 then tells us that as this outsider, as, we, as we've seen, he desired to see Jesus. So uh, why does he desire to see Jesus? Well, lots of people desire to see Jesus. And it looks like from this, you know, when we read in this story, it looks like that Zacchaeus is just a casual observer. He has heard about what Jesus is doing, and he's curious. He's a curious seeker, okay? Uh, and he probably, um, he's heard the stories about Jesus' healing, his kindness, and so he has to see Jesus. Uh, you know, obviously Jesus had this reputation of his love, care, and grace, especially for those who needed it the most, Think about Jesus' own calling of Matthew, the own ta- you know, his own tax collector. Last week, Adam preached on the way that Jesus restored the sight of the blind beggar. If you looked back in Luke 17, Jesus healed 10 lepers. To those who understand their true needs, Jesus and his grace 
are the most attractive thing there is. And we desire to see Jesus, okay? Because what Jesus offers, his grace, addresses the most fundamental problem that we all experience, what we all feel, which is a separation, an alienation from our creator. And so Zacchaeus does whatever he can to find and see Jesus, okay? Uh, and so in verses three and four there, we, we read about the problem. I think the scientific uh, medical term is being vertically challenged. Uh, and apparently the crowds are so large that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get to it. He couldn't get the right vantage point. Uh, a couple of years ago when we were living in Cambridge, the Tour de France came through Cambridge on one of the opening. And I, I, w- I didn't get a chance to be there, but I had friends who had all these pictures and you could just see people w- you know, waking up five, five in the morning, six in the morning, just to get there, uh, to line up. And it was hard to get a seat, you know, or get a view of it. And so people had to, you know, get to, uh, you know, stand on the walls, lampposts, whatever they could do, just to see the riders coming through. And so that's what Zacchaeus is acting like here, you know, or like he's at a concert and you got to get the right vantage point in the general mission in order to see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus does whatever's necessary in order to see the Savior. And so he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And so that's the setup of this story, the first four verses, okay? So Jesus, the divine son of God, is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, which is ultimately to get to the cross. He has a divine mission to die and to resurrect, okay? And he's going to atone for the sins of humanity. Not a big deal, you know? And then there's Zacchaeus, the ultimate traitor and outsider who wants to see Jesus and does whatever he can, okay? And so as Zacchaeus is in the tree, this really extraordinary moment happens, okay? Probably something he didn't expect, Jesus has an encounter with him. And that's the next point in the outline here is that, the, that grace is a divine encounter. It's a divine appointment. So look at verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Just, just a short verse, but loaded with lots of content here. Lots of things to think about. So firstly, Jesus knows where he is. In all of the um, kind of the busyness of the crowd, Zacchaeus can't get a spot. You think about the crowds that followed Jesus. They bumped up against him. You know, the disciples have to act like the secret service, usually keeping children away. You know, that's the biggest problem for the disciples. Um, Bumping up against him. Jesus knows where Zacchaeus is. He's walking along. He sees him. Secondly, Jesus knows his name. He looks up at him, stops at the spot, and he calls him by Zacchaeus, calls him by his name. Names are very personal and intimate. I mean, by nature, your name distinguishes you from somebody else. It's who you are. I think this is why uh, identity theft, it feels like such an invasion besides them stealing all your money. It's because somebody has infiltrated your life and has used your name detrimentally. But likewise, when somebody we value and honor knows you by name, there's no greater feeling. You can imagine being at, you know, maybe at a party, you work for a company and the CEO comes to you and does not have to introduce themselves to you, but actually knows you by name. They know you. It's intimate. It's personal. Okay. So how does Jesus know his name? Well, he is the divine son of God. 
Zacchaeus is his creation. In John chapter 10, we, uh, Jesus tells us that we, through that metaphor of him being the shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus uh, tells, him, tells, um, the, tells the crowd, he says, the shepherd knows the name of his sheep. Jesus knows Zacchaeus. He is his creation. And thirdly, we see that Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus was a divine appointment. Now, verse 1 makes it sound like, okay, Jesus is just on his way through Jericho. But when we get here, we see, no, 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 this is a divine appointment. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus was not by accident. He tells, and he commands, commands Zacchaeus, he says, come down immediately because he must stay at his house today. Okay? And it's a little word, must, but it has a lot of meaning. It is necessary that I stay at your house Jesus uses this exact same word to talk about his divine necessity to die and resurrect. Okay? This is, there's an ordination of an act of salvation for Jesus. So in in chapter 9, verse 22, uh, the gospel of Luke writes, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He must suffer many things. This is a divine orchestration. And so when not only is Jesus divinely ordained to go to the cross, he's also divinely ordained to have this small encounter with one outsider. Jesus' encounter is a divine appointment. He knows where Zacchaeus is, he knows who he is, and Jesus calls him. This is the gospel of grace. When grace comes to you, when Jesus comes to you, it is not by accident. It does not come to you once you reach a certain level of piety. That's definitely not what Zacchaeus was. It wasn't that Zacchaeus was a good man here. He's just curious. He just wants to know who Jesus is. And the same thing for us. Grace does not come to you expecting you to reach a you know, 70% holiness rate before it, you can receive it. No, Grace is a divine appointment, and it is a gift to those who are in need. And so in verses 6 to 8, then, we see that that, this grace that is being offered to Zacchaeus is transformative. It's transformative because when grace comes, it takes you from death to life. There's nothing more transformative than that, being dead in your sins and then being alive with Christ. It takes you from the realm of exile into the realm of the kingdom of God. Or perhaps one of my favorite metaphors that Paul uses, being an enemy of God and then being an adopted daughter or son of God. So how do you respond to the transformative work of grace? Verse 6, we respond in joy, gratefulness. When, when you have such a miraculous work done to you, joy and gratitude are the only right responses. So notice how Zacchaeus, so Jesus has told Zacchaeus, get down, come on, I'm staying at your house. Verse six, we see that Zacchaeus gets down at once and welcomes Christ gladly. Uh, now, as a, as a father of a toddler right now, I read, these, I read that kind of comment there and I think, oh, 
I bet Jesus was so delighted that he gave a command and Zacchaeus did so immediately and with gladness. My hope, my desire is I just want to tell my daughter to brush her teeth. And she's like, yes, dad, I would love to do that because I know you care for my teeth so much. You know, uh, And I'm sure parents of teenagers wish that as well. Perhaps spouses also. <laughs> Grace is not earned. It is a gift. And so the right response to the gift that you need is gladness of heart, joy. But verse 7 also has a warning for us. When you approach grace as something that you have earned, that you deserve it because you're a part of some sort of pious club or you come from a long list of ministers in a family or, you know, people who unlock the church, especially the church parking lot. Apparently people who have the keys to the church parking lot are very important. Verse 7 is a warning. Let me read verse 7 for us. All the people saw this, that is, that Jesus is being welcomed by Zacchaeus. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Okay. Zacchaeus is a sinner. He is outside of the community. He is somebody who these, all the people think is outside of the bounds of God's grace. There's no way that he could be redeemed. He is beyond kindness. He is beyond fellowship. What he actually deserves is punishment. He needs to be, he needs to be cut off from God. And what does it say about Jesus that he would associate with somebody like that? And I th- you know, when we read these things, it's kind of funny I mean, it, it, it comes across funny. It's funny when we grumble against the Lord for him being who he is, merciful, kind, slow to anger. This is exactly what we see in Jonah, you know, um, in the prophet Jonah, where Jonah refuses. He, he does not want to go to Nineveh precisely because he is fearful that God will be who he is. That is compassionate and slow to anger. When, uh, when God uh, forgives the Ninevites, that's, you know, Jonah's anger towards God is, I knew you would do this. I knew you would forgive them. And so the challenge for us is, is there anybody that we think as being outside of the ability for God to redeem? Is there a face that just kind of flashed there? Family member, colleague? Is there anybody that you'd be disappointed and frustrated that you would have to share in fellowship around the gospel? Friends, we're all in need of the gospel of grace. We're all in need of rescuing. And we need to remember that the cross is every bit as sufficient to handle my sins as it is to handle my family member's sin or my neighbor. There's nobody beyond the bounds. And so God's grace can, we should respond in joy. We have to be careful because it could cause us to grumble if we don't have the right view of grace. And then in verse eight, God's grace can transform us. Okay? Um, Because God is generous in his grace and his grace transforms who we are at our core, it also transforms our lives. We demonstrate it in our everyday lives. Look at verse eight. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So grace completely reorders who we are. For Zacchaeus, it happened immediately. For many of us, it's not an immediate thing. Most of, a lot of us are like uh, Nicodemus in, in John's gospel. Nicodemus has an encounter, a conversation with Jesus in, in John chapter 3. But by the end of John's gospel, Nicodemus is one of his followers, there to take Jesus down from the cross, there to bury him. But the grace does transform us. It transforms the way we live, transforms the way we use our money, what we use our money for. We become generous. Not only generous uh, with friends, but we become generous with those we don't know who are in need. It transforms the decisions that we make, decisions that you might make as a family, as a household. Also may, may transform, it should transform the decisions you make at work because grace is transformative. So verse eight, we see that Zacchaeus responds to Christ's grace by making restoration. First, notice when he comes down, all of a sudden, it's Lord. In this passage, it was Jesus, 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 and then Lord. And what does he do? Well, he becomes generous. He realizes that the belongings that he has had came, came through Ill, ill-gotten means, and he becomes generous by giving half to the poor and then paying back four times anybody who, who he's wronged. The gospel of grace transformed the way he lived, and he realized that he must make restoration. And for many of us probably today, uh, when we have become Christians, we realize that there are certain things that we must do as a part of our repentance. Friendships that we must restore, family members, relationships, but maybe even actual real practical means. And so for Zacchaeus here, this transformation of his belongings really contrasts with the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Remember the rich young ruler who's unwilling, he desires Jesus, even keeping the commands, but he's unwilling to, get to go to the kingdom because he had much. He was unwilling to sacrifice. We see the exact opposite here with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has experienced God's grace and he demonstrates it in true repentance. Well, then our passage this morning then closes out in verses 9 to 10 with an encouragement to be joyful in Christ's mission. So in verse 9, Jesus responds to Zacchaeus' faith, okay? Um, Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house, okay? So Jesus' own name actually means salvation. So there's a little play on words here. So Jesus today has come to Zacchaeus' house and salvation has come, okay? There's a... We should be delighted in such a, in this kind of comment from Jesus, this statement. Today, salvation has come. There's great assurance, friends. Maybe you're struggling with knowing your place in salvation. To those who receive Christ, today, salvation has come. You can be assured of that. So Jesus, wherever Jesus goes, salvation goes with him. Now, notice also the ending of verse 9. Because he also is a son of Abraham. Okay? So Zacchaeus is not, salvation has not come to Zacchaeus' house because he's become generous. 
It is not because he's become pious and given all his things away that now Jesus says salvation has come. No. Salvation has come because he's the son of Abraham. Now, being the son of Abraham, there is an actual genealogical aspect to that, being Jewish. But in Luke chapter 3, at the beginning of this gospel, John the Baptist has had this, right, this discussion. Who is a true son of Abraham? And according to John, it is those who respond in repentance to God's salvation. Zacchaeus has become a true son of Abraham. He has been welcomed into the kingdom. So Zacchaeus' salvation is not because of his giving back to the poor. Rather, his, his, give, his giving back to the poor is an outworking of his salvation. It is an outworking of his repentance. He demonstrates his faith and repentance. And so the people who see this might grumble. They grumble that Jesus would hang out with such an outsider, such a sinner. Um, But Jesus' encounter with such an outsider, such a sinner, extending his fellowship, extending his salvation, is at the heart of Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. Adam so brilliantly last week for us highlighted the expectation that his own disciples had about what Jesus was there to do. Was he there to, to lead some sort of military rescue against the Roman Empire? No. Is his fundamental role just to stick it to the religious leaders? No. Jesus's mission was to seek and to save the lost. And so Zacchaeus, like many that Jesus encountered, knew he was lost when he had an encounter with grace. And when you know that you're lost, that is when you can be found. And you know that the way of God's salvation is through repentance and faith and becoming a son and daughter. So just a few uh, kind of closing comments then. God's grace is free and it is not partial. It does not come to those of a certain socioeconomic class. It does not come to those of a certain language or skin color. No, it meets you where you are. And Zacchaeus demonstrates that it is not partial. Actually, God's grace seems to constantly go to those who are on the outside. Those who those who question whether I've done too much to be welcomed as a son or daughter. So God's grace is precisely for those who know they need it. And the the good news is because that is the heart of Jesus' own mission, to seek and save. So my encouragement then today is, if you're struggling with this, am I in? knowing that you can receive Jesus, and just as Jesus' words back then to Zacchaeus were true, that today salvation has come, that same assurance is had now. So my encouragement today is today receive Christ. Know that this grace that comes to you is by divine appointment, and it is transformative. And those, those of us who may, might be, have followers of Christ for some time, Let also us worship the Lord more fully, being encouraged and motivated in our own evangelism, knowing that Christ's salvation, one, has even come to us as sinners. And let us be generous with the message 
of the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace is even for the outsider, that many of us might feel on the outside of different things, different social encounters, family groups, work. But we know that your grace is exactly for us because we are in need of it. So we thank you that the Lord Jesus at the heart of his mission was to seek and save the law. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working on us. Maybe there are some here who today need to receive. Help them to have the assurance knowing that when I receive Christ, he declares salvation today. And for those of us, God, who are already in Christ, God, please, one, protect our hearts from thinking that we have deserved it and that therefore some do not deserve it. And two, God, help us to worship more fully, knowing how great and wonderful your grace is. And so we pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.